So this morning, we dive into Ruth chapter 3. I'll start by just reminding you really quickly of Ruth chapter 1 and Ruth chapter 2. So in Ruth chapter 1, we see Naomi's despair. That Elimelech and his family, they left God's land. There was a famine in the land, and they left, and they went um, to a place they should not have been. They went to to Moab, and it was a place that had been cursed by God. God had um, for turned that that place had turned their back on God's people, and so God had placed a curse upon them. Um, but they went there anyway. And while they were there, um, the sons of Elimelech married daughters of Moab. And then the sons and the father, over the course of about 10 years, they died. And Naomi is left as a widow, trying to care for these two daughters in a land that she is not from. And she is in deep, deep despair. And then in Ruth chapter 2, we see that God lifts the famine in Bethlehem. And Naomi goes to tell her daughters that she's returning home and they should depart from her. But Ruth refuses to do so. Ruth not only loves Naomi, but she loves the Lord. She has come to that place of trusting in the Lord. And she clings to Naomi and says, where you go, I will go. And so they arrive in Bethlehem. And there in Bethlehem, we we meet Boaz, who is a godly man who uh, is captivated by Ruth and shows her kindness. And Ruth chapter 2, kind of the key words of Ruth chapter 2 are why me. Ruth asked Boaz, why would you show such mercy on me? And Boaz commends that it is obvious that the wings of the Lord have been her provision. And so that leads us today to, I'm going to read chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it might be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. The first thing we notice in this text is that Naomi is not the same woman she was before in chapter 1 and chapter 2. The dots are connecting. Naomi is able to see that God is on the move. And she begins, we see this hope-filled action in her. As humans, acts of evil are almost always born from despair. Just in the past couple of weeks, we've seen this here on our own block. A few weeks ago, the bank next door to us was robbed at gunpoint, and that was you know, a big story on the news. And then we were surprised that just a week later, the Casey's right here next door to us was also robbed at gunpoint. And these two events just happened so quickly within such close proximity to our building, and both of those events, I can guarantee you, were birthed from despair. The truth is we're seeing a lot of that taking place right now, and it's because due to the economic crisis that we find ourselves in, people are desperate. They're finding themselves without hope, and hopelessness leads to acts of evil. We step out either to numb the pain or to try to do evil to get for ourselves. We do all of these things whenever we're without hope. But for those with hope, we dream and we plan differently. Confidence in the sovereign plan of a gracious God leads us to dream and respond to his grace in big ways. In chapter 3, we see a new Naomi, one who is filled with a fresh confidence in her Redeemer, knowing that he is at work behind the scenes. Now, having said that, 
I want to just acknowledge the obvious. The fact that her plan is born from hope does not make it sound any less crazy or less shady, because it sounds like a terrible plan. I remember as a college student reading Ruth for the first time and being like, whoa, what is happening here? This can't be right. Couldn't, like, couldn't Naomi's plan have just been to like take Boaz to his favorite restaurant or something like this? Like Everything about this plan seems like the opposite of what I would have told Ruth to do. To summarize, the plan here is to make yourself smell good, get all dressed up, go meet him in a place where no one else is going to be while he's sleeping under the starlit night, and present yourself to him. Sounds like a terrible plan. And it's easy to read Naomi's plan, and it's easy to assume when reading it that there might be some shady business going on here. In fact, you will find some scholars who have arrived at that conclusion. They believe that Naomi's motives actually are not good, that she's trying to take matters into her own hands, and that there's something less than a, you know, above bar going on here. However, I believe that when we carefully examine the text, I don't think that's what's happening. And I will say, and I'll make my case for that in a moment, but I will say that no matter what you believe about Naomi's intention, it doesn't change the beauty that we see of what actually transpires between Ruth and Boaz. I believe that Naomi has right and good intentions. Whatever you think about it, it ultimately doesn't change the story. In the weeks covering the barley and wheat harvest, Ruth and Boaz had gotten to know each other. Between chapter 2 and 3, there's been some time. They've been in the field together. They've gotten to know one another. It's obvious that Ruth has caught Boaz's eye. He has made it a point to be around her, to give gifts to her. He may not have come outright and asked for her hand, but he has surely pursued her with kindness. And Ruth had likely shared a great deal about Boaz to Naomi. They knew the man that Boaz was. This plan is birthed out of, a, of the fact that Naomi knows who Boaz is and his character and his love for the Lord. Naomi tells Ruth in this text that she wants rest for her. And the term for rest and security in Hebrew are the same term. What she's saying is she wants her daughter to be married and to be cared for by a worthy man. And while she has known for weeks that Boaz is legally worthy, that means he, he fits the title of a kinsman redeemer. He, like, he is one that they could go to. They have a right to ask him to carry on the name of Elimelech in accordance with Old Testament law. He is legally worthy. Naomi has been buying her time. And she now feels confident that he is also worthy based on his character. Because both of those components are important from the viewpoint of a mother. I can tell you as a father, I'm a dad to two girls, and I recognize that one day it will be my job to be the gatekeeper between the man who will pull into my driveway seeking to pursue my daughter and, and her. And there are two important components. Like Boaz, he's got a good job, he has means, and he also loves the Lord. And you have to have both of those things. If you come into my house and you you know, have a great job, maybe own your own company, but you don't love the Lord, well, you can go out and get right back in the car you pulled in and, like, the deal's over. But if you come into my house and you love the Lord and you want to pursue my daughter, but I ask you how you're going to provide for her and you tell me about your Etsy bracelet business, again, I'm glad you love the Lord, but back to your car, this isn't going to work. Like, both of these components are important. 
I don't. I haven't really been on Etsy, so if anybody does make a legitimate career out of selling bracelets on Etsy, I mean no offense. But these, these things are both important, and I believe Naomi has come to a place that she knows this is the man she wants her daughter to be married to. Naomi wants her daughter to be married, and that's what she's sending Ruth to do. Ruth is going to present herself in a symbolic way for marriage to Boaz. She's essentially going to the threshing floor to propose. This is why she's, it's important to be all dressed up and to smell good. This is a special occasion. Naomi loves the Lord, and she has a plan. And Ruth submits to her by saying, all that you say, I will do. And that takes us to 6 through 12 as the plan begins to unfold. So she went down to the threshing floor, and she did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled, and he turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. The scene here, Boaz is asleep on the threshing floor. Boaz owns a successful farming business. It's the, time, the season, the, the, everything's being harvested. And Naomi knew specifically, it's Boaz probably normally wouldn't be here, but she knew because of the season that it was that he would be. The threshing floor was a, a place to go and separate and winnow the grain. The grain has been harvested, now it's time to separate and winnow it. And then somebody would always stay there with the grain at the threshing floor overnight to prevent it from being stolen. There's a good chance as the owner of the field, maybe Boaz on this specific night, he's spelling the man who works for him who usually does this. Whatever the case, Naomi knew he would be there. And Ruth waits until Boaz has finished his food and drink. He is complete, he's content, and he goes to sleep satisfied with a good day's work. And then Ruth comes, and she uncovers his feet, and she lays down beside them to wait for his response. While some see this as a provocative gesture, it's common uh, if, you're, if you're reading about this. Like, it's his feet. She uncovers his feet, lays down beside his feet. Okay? Like, come on. Ruth is intentionally putting herself in a place of humility. That's what's happening here. And that day, it was not uncommon for a servant to sleep beside the master's feet, ready to submit to their command at a moment's notice. What's happening here is not Ruth trying to seduce Boaz, but Ruth is demonstrating humble submission to the one who is able to redeem her. Now, don't misunderstand. Don't lose sight of what else is happening here. She is choosing to come to him humbly, but Ruth also come, is coming to claim a right. In accordance with scripture, Boaz was her kinsman redeemer, and she had the right legally to expect him to marry her and to raise up a family to carry on the name of Elimelech. That was the reason this law existed. But Naomi wisely counseled Ruth not to come as a victim demanding her rights, not to come as one entitled, but as a humble servant, trusting in the goodness of this man. She's saying to Boaz, 
I respect you, I trust you, and I'm, gonna, I'm willing to put my fate in your hands. Obviously, this was a dangerous situation. If Boaz were a coward or a lesser man, this surely could have gone tragically for Ruth. And everybody, you read this story and you understand the danger of this situation. But she and Naomi knew the man that Boaz was. They trusted him because he reflected the Lord whom he obviously loved in his character. I think, real quick, there's a a word of wisdom to men and women as we look at Boaz and Ruth. It seems to me that many men, they they want a wife that's like Ruth. Cool. All, all men want to be honored. It's at the root, like it's just part of the core makeup. And men, many men that I, I speak to, they, they want a wife that, like Ruth, might honor them and acknowledge them and show respect to them and, and, and be present in such a way, even when, when things aren't, aren't well. But they don't want to die to self. They don't want to walk in godliness. They don't want to, like, Boaz has spent weeks pursuing Ruth, and just in acts of kindness, like serving her, giving to her, being there for her, laying down his life for her. We often want one, but we don't want to lead in servanthood. We want, we want admiration, but doing the dishes, no, no thanks. And by the same token, Many women that I speak to, they, they want a man who, who leads and has, is, takes charge like Boaz and loves and serves them and romances them in the way that Boaz did. But putting themselves in a position of, 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 of honoring and acknowledging and, and being willing to be led by, well, that's, that, that kind of humility, I, I don't want to do that. I think on both counts, there's a lesson to be learned by what's taking place here between Boaz and Ruth and how they've come to this place. Take note of Ruth's response to the obvious question of a disoriented Boaz. Like he wakes up, it's midnight, he's in the middle of a deep sleep, a woman is laying at his feet, he asks the obvious question, who are you? And she says this, I am your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Ruth is not here merely because Naomi told her to do this. Ruth desires to be one with Boaz. She desires to be his wife. And that's what she's asking him to do. The NIV uses the language that I think is more close to the original. It says, spread the corner of your garment over me, which sounds more suggestive, but it's actually language that's used elsewhere in Scripture. Ezekiel 16.8 is the only other place where this term is used. And it's the Lord speaking to his people, saying this. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you, and I covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you, and I entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. The Hebrew word for skirt or garment is the word for wing. And this passage in Ezekiel is the only other place in Scripture where this term is used. Boaz is very familiar with this term. Remember that in our text last week, he quoted it when Ruth asked him why he was showing mercy to her. He said in Ruth chapter 2, verse 12, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Like, he had quoted this. 
And now Ruth's quoting it back, and you see this romantic, there's just admiration and love for one another, what's taking place here. Boaz loved Ruth, and from the moment he saw her, the Lord had filled his heart with love for this woman. And when she asks why, his response in Ruth 2 was essentially, it's obvious that the Lord loves you and that you trust in him. And that love for the Lord was the thing that made her so attractive to Boaz. And now Ruth is essentially saying the same thing back, vice versa. It's his godliness, his love for the Lord that has brought her to this place, being willing to put her fate in his hands and to desire to covenant with him in marriage as God describes his covenant with his people in Ezekiel. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This term is used in Ezekiel by the Lord to describe his covenant with Israel. He chose to love his beloved and to cover them up in in the midst of their nakedness. And Ruth is asking Boaz to covenant with her in marriage, to love her, to protect her, to provide for her, reflecting the love that the Lord shows his church. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Ruth's essentially holding this man who has shown that he loves her to that standard. Would you do that? This, my friends, is a love story. But it's not just Ruth and Boaz's story. It's our story. It's the gospel story that a redeemer pursued us in kindness and love out of an affection he had for us when we were still apart from him. And that by his grace, we come to a place where we respond to that loving kindness and we put ourselves at his feet and we desire to enter into covenant with him. And he is gracious to redeem those who will come and be submit themselves at, at his feet. Like what's happening between Ruth and Boaz isn't just a beautiful story of grace for Ruth, but God in his sovereign majesty is giving us a beautiful love story, showing us what he does for us in Jesus. There's no mistake that this takes place in Bethlehem. God loves us and pursues us and desires to be our protection and our provision. And like Ruth, we come to him humbly, laying our lives down at his feet, recognizing that we trust fully in his goodness. And because of that trust, we're willing to put our fate, our safety, to make ourselves vulnerable. Ruth, it's intentional in God's sovereignty that Ruth is presenting herself to Boaz from a place of complete vulnerability. If Boaz wasn't who she thought he was, it goes bad for her. But she knew and had faith in who he was. So all who come to the threshing floor to present themselves before the Lord must arrive at such a place. We, lay our, we put ourselves fully at his feet because we know who he is. And he is gracious to redeem those who would do such. And Boaz's integrity is revealed um, also in this text. We see this in verses 12 through 3. It says, And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. 
So Boaz, here he is, alone with this beautiful woman he loves and who loves him. Yet he is committed to righteousness. According to God's law, he reveals that there is another who has the right to redeem her that perhaps her and Naomi didn't even know about. There's another family member that he recognizes is of closer status. And while it, you know, obviously it would have been, uh, and there would have been a great deal of incentive, not just his love for this woman, but with this comes everything that is Elimelech's. But he, he wants to do that which is right and in accordance to the Lord. He puts God's ways before his own desires. And that takes us to the remainder of our text, verses 14 through 18. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it. And he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For this man will not rest until he settles the matter this very day. Boaz sends Ruth home, not empty-handed, but with provision for her and her mother. He's already trying to get in good with the mother-in-law. like he, 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 He's setting himself up. And then he goes to seek out the other whom would have claim. And we'll talk more about that encounter next week. This is the reason for his discretion. When he says, don't tell that the woman was here, he's a man. He's a gentleman. He's not trying to do anything shady. He wants to make sure that this relative who he will go to next week hears from him directly and that it doesn't look like anything's happening behind the scenes. Naomi hears this recounted from Ruth, and she rightly suggests that this man will not rest until this matter is settled. I want to just talk about that idea as we close this morning. Next week, I'll, I'll share the final Ruth sermon via video. But I want to make sure today, I'm kind of going to get jump ahead a little bit, a little spoiler alert here, because I know how videos work. It can be tricky to get to. I understand I want to make sure you understand what God is doing before we celebrate Christmas this Friday. The story of God redeeming Ruth is the story of God's plan to redeem us. The book of Ruth is a gospel story within the gospel story. As we start the new year, many of you will likely begin new Bible reading plans. In the coming weeks, as the new year begins, you'll start at the very beginning, start at Matthew chapter 1. And the first text you'll read, if you're starting new in the New Testament, is the genealogy of Jesus, which seems boring. It's easy to look over. Oftentimes, it doesn't start very good momentum to our New Testament reading plan. But I want to take a look at the lineage of Christ to tell you about what's ultimately happening here in the book of Ruth. Matthew 1, verses 5 and 6 say this. And Solomon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. 
This is the lineage of Jesus. This is 5 and 6 from the lineage of Christ. Ruth, this Moabite woman who had no right to come before the Lord to enter into God's land, who was a part of a cursed people, by God's grace and in his sovereign plan is the great-grandma of King David. That's what's, that's what's taking place here. This isn't just a love story between a random woman and man. This is part of God connecting the dots to redeem us through Christ. Ruth is King David's Mimi. I mean, that's crazy. This is it's like a Christopher Nolan twist. Revelation 5.5, if you remember from a few weeks ago, we saw a scene where John is weeping because no one is worthy to open the scroll and to bring history to its right conclusion. And notice the term that is used by one of the elders. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scrolls and its seven seals. And Jesus, referring to himself in Revelation 22, 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. The story of Ruth is, the, is, is, is part of the Christmas story. It's God providentially orchestrating, redeeming a situation for those whom he loved that ultimately what's happening here leads to, to King David. And then King David, his line ultimately leads to Jesus and the salvation of all. The story of Ruth is our redemption story. God is not only painting a picture, like he is painting a picture of what he is going to do for his people while he's actually doing it and leading to it. It's the Christmas story because it's about Jesus and his loving pursuit of his bride in Bethlehem. Isaiah 11, verse 1 through 2. There shall come, is like the, the Christmas verse. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. As you recount this story today, I want you just to remember. And this week leading up to Christmas and as, as Christmas morning arrives, that Boaz would not rest until his beloved was redeemed. And neither would your Redeemer rest until you were. About, I guess it was about a year ago now, probably like, I mean, not a perfect man as none are, but probably like my pastoral hero is Eugene Peterson. And I, I want to say it was about a year ago that he passed away. And uh, Dustin actually you know, shared this, um, I think, the Sunday after. But at his father's funeral, Leif Peterson revealed a secret about his father while they, at, at, during the service. Leif Peterson revealed that for 50 years, his dad, Eugene, had fooled everybody. That all of his messages were essentially the same message that Eugene had snuck in to whisper into his children's ear each night as children. And that message was summarized as, God loves you. He is on your side. He is coming after you. 
And he is relentless. That's the story of Christmas. God loves you. As Boaz loved Ruth to an eternity further degree, God loves his children. And he is on your side. Ruth and Naomi spent a decade under the clouds of hopelessness. They knew nothing but hunger and death and grief. But all the while, God's love for them never ceased, and he was taking them towards something greater than they could have imagined. He is on your side, and he is coming after you. He came. That's what we celebrate at Advent, and he will come again. He is coming after you, and he is relentless. The Redeemer will not rest. He will settle the matter. Perhaps this Christmas, the picture that we need is just Ruth putting herself down at the feet of her Redeemer and humbly acknowledging herself to be a servant in need of redemption. I can think of no greater posture for the time where we recognize God's plan fulfilled in Christ. Might that be so for you and I this week? Because God so loved you that he gave his only son to live a perfect life, to die a brutal death, so that there would no longer be condemnation for those who are his, but everlasting joy in Christ our Redeemer. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, thank you for your graciousness and your mercy. You are a gracious Redeemer. Lord, there is no way outside of you. There is no hope to be had. There is no light around the corner. There is no sunrise on the horizon. Apart from you, we are lost. We are drowning in a sin, in, a, in an ocean of sin and death. Lord, in your, your graciousness, you, you've redeemed us. You brought us out of that ocean through your strong arm that is Christ. And you've made us heirs to the throne of grace. You've you've called your church or your bride. Lord, thank you. You're so kind to us and you pursued us and you gave us eyes to, to see who you were and brought us to a place of being at your feet. Lord, might we remember Might we remember that moment at the threshing floor when we submitted ourselves fully to you? Might remembering that day just reignite in us a passion passion to return to that posture, to submit all that we have um, at your feet? God, maybe maybe you use this week, maybe you use this Christmas, maybe you use a a weekend of of just being together with family and and worshiping to to bring us to such a place as as we prepare for the new year. God, that's my my prayer. That's that's what I'm asking of you. Lord, bring bring us to your feet. And Lord, if there are any here who aren't there, who just who aren't yours, who you're still you're pursuing with, with kindness, but they, they have not come to that place yet. Lord, what you bring them there?
maybe you use us. God, if you'd be so gracious, might the gospel from our very lips be the, the tool that you use to bring your, you know, the one you love to yourself. Lord, I love you, and I thank you for these people and this church that you've bought with your blood. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.